Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files, I'm Tom Donaldson. I'm the chairman of America's PAC, research and project director for America's Majority Foundation, the author of eight great books, not yet bestsellers, but they all should be. And I am now finishing up my ninth book, uh, At the Abyss. And and then with me tonight would be Lauren Bice. Uh, Kyle Hester is somewhere out there. Hopefully he's supposed to be scheduled to to join us, and uh, Coco is somewhere in Burbank with her boyfriend, and, and he has a bad back, so she's uh, tending to that, and she did say the last time I texted her that I think she's uh, is on her way. Some Maybe she's going to be a little bit, she may be late, but she's not 100% sure, uh, but it is what it is, but Lauren Barnes is joining us. The last week for Lauren, had all kinds of troubles over you know, with uh, connections, and, and but she did make it this time. She, you know, so I guess uh, we'll start first of all, Lauren. Why don't you tell everybody about yourself? Because you're one, you're one of these few people I have regularly that if I give your resume, I'll be spending half of the show talking about it. So. <laughs> well, hello everybody. It's good to be with you this evening. I say this evening because I'm living right I'm an American, but I'm living in Dublin, Ireland right now. Um I have Tom's right. <laughs> we don't want to take the whole show up. But um I have extensive um experience and I'm educated um in communications, but um I hold a bachelor's degree um in film studies and a master's degree in um film studies and the media arts and I'm a published playwright and I'm a screenwriter also and director. And I'm very happy to be with you this evening um, and happy to share with you some insight as to what's going on in Europe. And I'm anticipating a very exciting move to Scotland in the next two months. I just received my first um, vaccine injection um, two weeks ago, and I'll get my second one in two more weeks. And once that's all taken care of, I can finally make my move. So with all that said, let the show begin. Yeah. Personally, yeah. Yeah. so what are the projects? Uh, what projects are you now working on? What are you going to be working on when you get to Scotland, uh, when you finally get there? Okay. Well, this I have to say, this whole year of being in lockdown, number one, I have really been in lockdown in Ireland. Um, they when, when the coronavirus hit in 2020, um, we they they took it very seriously. Of course, because it was in Europe, um, they were very mindful and they saw what was happening. So you know they immediately placed, especially in Dublin, into lockdown. So I have been in lockdown in my little flat um, for a year, and salons were closed, restaurants were closed, and the old no really think about this for one year. In 2020, the only place I went was to go to a grocery store or to, say, a local pharmacy to get what I needed. 
and that's it. I didn't go to any mm. other place. I, no place except to, like, walk to a park for exercise. I couldn't go anywhere else. That's it. And if mm. I ventured, like, say, to a major, like, a city center, you know, to, if I wanted to go outside of my parameter to go to the campus, because I, my, my college I graduated from was Trinity College, I had to carry yeah. a letter showing my academic status. Otherwise, I would be stopped by the police. So for one year, I have gone no place other than those three places. As of Monday, though, lockdown has been lifted. With that said, though, it has been an extremely productive year. I, my, my job, though, what I've been doing while I've been in my little isolation area of my flat, I, I do teach. I teach online. And because I've been teaching online with so many children and adults, business people, being at home and working at home. I teach world history, language arts, all aspects of English, speech writing, and the creative writing. And I have my own project. So I have been writing feature screenplays. I've been writing theater scripts. And I've been doing a lot of um, script reading for people, which has been very profitable for me. So I've done a lot this <laughs> year. Well, that's a lot to do. So, so I did not realize you taught world history. Yes, I do. I oh, do. Okay. So, uh, all right. That's like, uh, no, that's something I did not realize. I know everything. Yeah. So now you you're still teaching, correct? Mm-hmm. Your, I am. Now is your is is your is the semester over at this point? Uh, where you're well, at? No. Because it's not, Tom. I'm tired. It's not. And the reason why it's not over is because I teach students in South Korea. I teach students in America. And then I have some students here um, in Ireland. And because I'm teaching in so many different countries, they all start school at at different um, times of the Mm -hmm. season. They overlap, you know, so it's a little bit different. Um, interesting, you know, especially like South Korea, they, their school year starts in March, and Americans start in September. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, all right. So who, who do you teach? So based, now a lot of this is Zoom. Is that what I'm assuming? Yeah, so you're doing it's this by Zoom. Zoom. So basically, so basically, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. I just laugh at this. When I start teaching world history, when I start teaching world history. You know, especially world history. You know, you you know how it is world history, right? When we're when we're yeah. taught world history, and whether it's in elementary or middle school, high school or college, it's basically the dates, the names, right? We know, we remember yeah. that. But when I was teaching this, it was a whole it's a whole new thing, right? Zoom. How do you teach yeah. world history? So I decided when the kids are ready, they're looking at me, right? One on one. And they're staring at me, it's private lessons, and they're, get, and they're taking notes. They're very diligent. Your parents are paying yeah. a lot of money for this. So what I do is, because my background is in theater, I studied in New York City, I do it like it's really happening. And I act it out. <laughs> I act out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I actually like, and Queen Elizabeth, in, in, and, I, and I give a year, and the kids are staring at me with their mouths open. They're like, Wow. That really happened. Yeah. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. That's it. Let me ask you a question. I mean, here, let me answer this question because uh, now, would you say world is the world history? Uh, is this on Trinity College campus, or is this part of your Zoom thing as well? And do you teach no. like the South? Go ahead. Well, what I do is I, at my company, my, I work for a company based in New York City. That's my company, okay. and I've worked for okay. them since 2018. And um, originally, this company only taught English language arts. And then um, when the coronavirus began, I'd say the end of 19, 2019, December, when it first hit China and in, in Korea, they immediately had an influx of parents signing up for lessons. And they had asked me, they said, you know, would you want to write a proposal or whatever? And I immediately said, well, and I, I gave them like a three-page proposal. We should teach this. We should teach that. And immediately they expanded, and that's how all this came into being. So basically, you volunteer without volunteering, huh? So you exactly. say, here's your proposal. <laughs> here's, a, here's some classes yep. how to teach, and they said, while you're at it, would you like to teach them? <laughs> well, yes, but yeah, that's exactly what I did. Now, remember, when you do these classes, you only have two chances whether or not it works. Like, if it's not effective, and if the children aren't learning, and if they don't meet certain criteria for the class, if they don't pass the test, if they're not absorbing what you're teaching them, then the parents don't keep the children enrolled. Yeah. Now, what? Okay. Hold on. Here's the, when I come back. Here's the question. What I answer is, yeah. What is the age of the students you teach? Are they college, high school? Uh, and so we'll. I want to kind of follow up on that because we've never really have okay. talked about your teaching. Okay. Yeah. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. It's Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bassin News Radio Network. Now, if you want to advertise, uh, Contact LA at the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com and we'll get a sales team to you. Uh, and we'll and, and if you want to know exactly if you want to become a sponsor of this hour, this is what you need to do. Contact LA at the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com and what you get for your package is three ads, one mention, uh, and at the beginning and the end of each show you'll be say this on this hour is sponsored by, and you'll be the official sponsor. And we do have various packages for you to follow up on. So give us a buzz, give us a call here at the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right, and we're now back to Lauren. And what's uh, Lauren? Hello. 
Hello? All right, well, Lauren, it looks like she has a little technical problem. She'll be right back as soon as we can get this cleared up. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, we're still, like I said, just heard from Kyle Hester. It looks like he got uh, he's uh, tied up. I'm not sure he's going to be able to make it uh, later the show. Uh, we're still waiting to hear back from Coco to see how her, her boyfriend is uh, doing. And so, and now we're back to, okay, hold on a second. Okay, Lauren, looks like we lost Okay, you hear him. Yeah. So, all right. Now, the question I had for you is, what is the age of the of the uh, students you have? Okay, my youngest student um, is eight years old. Oldest student is, he's in his mid-40s. I have college students. I have businessmen who are looking to um, who or and I mean businessmen where they they travel the world but need assistance writing speeches and help with delivering their speeches. So I help them rework it and then I help them to present. Okay, so I have them maybe you know they they just touch base with me whenever they need to work a speech. Um, but then I have my regular, like my college students, and then I have people that are um, my adult, my adult learners, who um, say are um, going for a second degree. They're working full time jobs, but now they're going for a master's degree, and they are working on say um, needing assistance, say like in creative writing, or working on their English skills. You know, they need help with um, placement testing. So I help them with that. Those are my adult learners. And then the rest are, I do eight years old. I do middle school, do high school. Um, and, and now, like I said, I do several different countries. Okay, now the world, now your world history course. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that high school, college? Uh, no, that that same thing. I do the high school history, I start probably middle school and high school, middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, let me add, here's a yeah. question I'm going to throw back. Uh, now that you got me on it, because I did not realize this, but I am just kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, you're, in, you're in Europe. Right. But you also have foreign students from South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, you know, the United States. So how does, you know, let me ask you a question. You and I probably took world history when we were in these states. Right. And, and I'm going to use the word erocentric. It's a good portion yeah. of it. Yeah. Now, the question I'm going to throw back to you, are you tempted to move out of that, especially because I know you got Korean students, you got Asian students, and let's face it, uh, you know, you have civilizations in Asia that just quite frankly have been, you know, have been in existence long before you know, West, what we would call Western civilization, in the case of China, is a good example. So mm-hmm. do you kind of change your emphasis on that? Do you kind of teach more of that aspect? Uh, you know, how do you handle that? That's a great question. That is, like, such a great, great question because it's so interesting that, all right, so all of my South Korean students, right, who, yeah. of course, you know, we have the Korean War, the Americans and you know, fought for the Korean people, right? So predominant yeah. in their culture. 
So the South Korean um, culture, which heavy emphasis on education, uh, very brilliant-minded individuals, okay, brilliant, far superior education yeah. than what we give our, our, our kids. They really know our history. It's amazing. Like, they know our Civil War, like, way beyond what I knew at their age. Unbelievable. They know our war. They know World War One, World War Two. They know our military leaders during those wars. Like, they can throw out names like you wouldn't believe, okay? But they have no understanding of Europe. Like, they, they don't understand anything about Scotland or Ireland or how England was formed. They don't understand the dynamics of royalty. They don't, oh, Vikings. They, they know nothing about the Vikings. They, mm-hmm. It's really fascinating how they don't, they, the Druids, they know nothing about that. And so I open that whole world up to them. And they, hmm. they're like, wow. They, they just yeah. really, no understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this because, you know, over the past several years, I've, I, I, you know, I've been educating myself on Asian history, uh, mm-hmm. you know, China, I mean, and you mm-hmm. know, I mean, like you say, you, and, it, and because it, you know, like you said, if you're going to understand, let's say, nations, you might want to understand what they, you know, their history, and it's a, yeah, to me, I, I find it fascinating, you know, about China history because it's about five thousand years old. Right. I mean, you literally have had civilization for five thousand years, and you right. get a pretty good insight on who they are. And uh, right. on the other, on the other side of the equation, and, and certainly, you know, I tell you, I'm going to make a statement here because this is something I read years ago, and okay. I thought it was fascinating. Is and maybe it goes back to the world history part. Is is he said is, there's a gentleman where he said at the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. European diplomats, they had world, you know, they pretty much had empires. They pretty much, for mm-hmm. them, a diplomat would be thinking about what's going on in the U.S., what's going on in Africa, what's going on in South Asia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, let's say, the average American would be, okay, what's going on in the United States? Because we weren't, mm-hmm. it wasn't until the Spanish American War we made that leap into mm-hmm. world, you know, into the world in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and, I, and he said, like, you know, now you look in the 1960s, 1970s, it's a complete – it was like the complete opposite. An American mm-hmm. diplomat had to be thinking about China, mm-hmm. Far East, Europe, mm-hmm. the United States, and it was kind mm-hmm. of reversed. The Europeans became the more parochial side of the equation. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm and I look, I, I looking at the world history, and it, it's kind of the same way mm-hmm. that – there is that parochial side, no matter how you, you know, you, you, we talk. Because to me, when I remember most of my world history courses, Europe was the center of that teaching. Basically, came from it on the European side, starting like the 1500s, exploration, and that, and before we moved out into, let's say, the rest of the world, if you want to put it to that capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But see, what they, yeah. what, what we don't teach them, which, which is something that we kind of gloss over. Um, completely, we don't under we don't teach anybody like the significance of what happened during the Enlightenment. We don't do that really, and sometimes until we get into college, and that's yeah. something that really even like in eighth grade we need to start teaching people because we need kids need to understand where we moved from 
this religion based of do what you are told to start to think for yourself. And if we start to do this now and let people say, okay, here's what, you know, let me just make a break for a second. I have a, I have sure. a, you asked me about ages. I, when you have to take a break, tell me. Um, oh, yeah, no, I have, I'll, I have, I'll tell you. Okay. I have an, I had a student um, four months ago. Um, she's never spoke English. Okay. This was very challenging for me. Okay. Never all she could say to me was, hi, imagine, could not speak a word of English, but hi. And I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be tough. Four months later, I could speak now. She speaks English. I could, I could actually have a conversation. I'm the only person in her life that speaks English. And she said to me this. She said, she said this to me the other day. She said, teacher, she said, now has the laugh. She said, you are like a supermarket. For me, I get to walk it to you, and I get to pick the best food that I could eat. She says, mm. and I can choose what I want and what I don't want. That's what kids need to understand, that yeah. they don't have to be told what they have to do, but what they can choose what's best for them. And that was what the Enlightenment taught the world. But things were misconstrued because of religious beliefs. And I'm not speaking about spiritual beliefs. I'm speaking about religious beliefs. And I'm a byproduct of that, having been raised in the Catholic Church. And it took my whole life to really understand that until I was educated enough. And I know I'm contradicting myself, but it was only until I got into my fourth year at Monmouth University in, in New Jersey, that I really understood the significance so many philosophy courses and really understanding what I was reading, that I understood I have the choice to decipher what I'm learning. And that's what history teaches us. And that's what we need to teach people at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, here, I mean, I, I'm going to put this way because I have to be honest with you. It's, over the years, I've, you know, you know, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, I've, you know, I've had to self teach myself in so many different areas as well to just to expand mm-hmm. on it. Because in my business, basically, you know, I, you know, when you do research projects and you're in the political side of the equation, you know, there's mm-hmm. much that you really have to know. It's, you know, people, you know, you know, we, you actually have to know, you know, know this stuff, and it's. And it's been kind of fa- I mean, it's been fascinating over the years. You know, a good friend of mine. There was a good friend of mine, uh, who's like it was a mentor to me on the police, uh, Richard Nadler, and mm-hmm. and this guy, he you know, he was a he was a fascinating person because he was a genius, mm-hmm. but he could never do schoolwork. I mean, he barely got through high school, went through a semester, and he told me one time, and you know, like he he told me one time, he said, like you know, when I was in school, I was like daydreaming. Yeah, and. And he was like one of the smartest people. I mean, he literally read everything and anything uh, about ill. And, and and you're absolutely true because I do want to kind of there's some things you kind of brought up, but but it's, it's an aspect of you know of that you know teaching because here's the aspect to me and and what I want to leave you with you know, 
to get back to the, when we get, come back from a break here on the Donaldson Files and the Bastion Israel Network is that learning, and we want, I want to kind of follow up on that concept that learning never stops. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files with Lauren Buys on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. This segment will be brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. And by the way, don't forget on Thursday is uh, their Buffalo Wild Wings uh, special. You'll buy one, you get one free. Buy one order, you get one free. Plus, you get to see all the sports you want. If you want to see a European uh, football match, which we in the United States call soccer, you they will find it for you. That's how much sports you can listen to on the on Buffalo Wild Wings. This is Tom Donaldson of the with uh, Lauren Byers here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, our website is the Bachelor News Radio Network. And and you can listen to this podcast and others at your convenience after you listen to it live. Because, let's face it, you'll want to listen to this show again. Because Lauren Byers uh, brings so much to the table. She's so intelligent. And her she has a resume as long as I stated. It would take an entire half the show just to do her resume. Uh, all right, back to the question. I'm going to go back to you. Learning never stops. Absolutely, you're right about that. I absolutely agree with you. I also think that the moment that we we stop questioning and and, and stop being inquisitive about things really is the point that we um, we just lose a sense of passion and interest about life, and we get tired, and we get bored, and we get depressed. And we start focusing on things that are negative in our world. And, um, and we just don't want to get up in the morning. Truly, that's what happens to us. So it's always, and learning is yeah. not just about even picking up a book and, and saying, oh, I'm going to get this degree. It's not about even the degree. It's about just getting up in the morning and say, I'm going to learn how to maybe garden. I'm going to learn how to knit. I'm going to learn how to draw something for the first time. It's it's the process of expanding yourself in some small way. It's about baking a cake that you never baked before. These are the things. It's not about, you know, it's not even about writing a book and being famous. It's, it's the little things you do every day that's something different. That's what it's about. And it's about recognizing the fact that your brain every day, your body is regenerating cells. And it really is up to you to give it a little bit of help and expand yourself by, by increasing the thought process. You know, having looking outside and saying, hmm, what can I do differently today? 
You know, instead of walking down the same street, walk down a different street and look at something differently. And it really is about that. And if and this is the key. If you're afraid to do something or if you think you can't learn something, that's when you know you should be doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, you know, I agree with that. I mean, because that's the you know, here's the thing I always found. Because okay, I'm 67, and I kind of made a decision years ago. I would, I would, I'm not going to. I kind of made the decision where if I can work, I'm going to work. If I'm healthy enough, I'm going to keep working. Part time, full time, I don't. I keep working because I find that it keeps the brain cells. Uh, going. That's number one. Number two, it's interesting, that, you know, because there are times in which, like I said, on the real estate side of the business, I'm, I literally, okay, in our office, we have a young lady who's like 23 years old. She's been a real estate agent for like since she was 19. And, you know, very, you know, and, and there's a, a gentleman who basically his grandmother worked in our office for years. And, he, and he's in his fifth year. He's like 25. And it's like, I mean, it's like, you know, you hang out with these people and it's like, well, you know, it's, it keeps you young. I don't know about you, but you know, it keeps you young. And, you know, I've always, I've always thought, you know, you know, I saw, here's the thing. I saw this, you know, with my parents in the sense that, you know, you know, when they moved to a, what I call senior citizen place, there was something that changed inside them. You know, they, mm. in the sense that they, you know, they didn't. You know, they were crying like, you know, they stayed around, they stayed at home. You know, when you get to these places, it's always like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what medicine are you on? You know, how's life? Oh, boy, I had a headache or whatever. It just seemed like their life aspect changed. And I mm-hmm. said to myself, you know, as long as I I just am going to keep working, keep working, keep working until, you know, that, you know I can't physically do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and even as long as you have the mind, it's. I, guess, I think it keeps you young. Mm-hmm. It keeps you young. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it goes back to and, and it's like to me, like I said, I was fascinated because obviously you got a wide variety of things you teach. Mm-hmm. And the question and was, just, from world history. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, from world history to the various aspects of the theater, of entertainment, script writing, creative writing. I mean, these are all different. How do you Prepare for everything. How do you get everything prepared? Because you're basically going in five different directions. I know. It's it, it's so kind of interesting. Um, I used to think to myself, how, it, it, wow, um, it's unbelievable because even at first when I started doing this, I used to make notes like, okay, this student likes this, and this student, you know. Because my first class was like, what are you, what are your favorite things so that I could keep track of everything? But after a while, because I have such interest in every student, I I know their date of birth, I know what their likes are, I know what classes they all like in school, I know how many siblings they have. Um, it's just basically what we were just talking about. When you have a genuine interest in someone or something. You remember everything. And as far as preparation, you know, um, you know, like for my creative writing students, I came up with this on my own. What I do is this. I give them a writing prompt. Every week I give them, uh, a, I give them like five questions, okay, and they can choose what they want. I'm, first of all, I, this is my philosophy. 
I am a no-stress teacher. I refuse to put any stress on my students. There's enough stress in this world. For one thing, these kids are going through a major pandemic. They are having to go to school online. Their whole lives have changed, and I'm the last person to add any more stress. My classes are fun. Every time they have a class with me, they are usually laughing. They really are, like to the point where they're in, like, giggles, and they always learn something. Okay, I'm the fun teacher, and that's the way I want it to be. So with my writing students, I give them a choice. I give them five questions, and they can pick one thing that they have to write about. And the day before the class, they submit it to me. I upload it to Word, okay? And when they come in, I screen, I share it so they can see what they've written. It's in the document. And then, this is my own thing. No one's done this in the company before. Now everybody is. I give them permission, because you can do this through Zoom, to access my document. So not only are they able to write on my Word document, which is their words, but I'm actually teaching them how to use Word. So they're getting the benefit of using the editing program. Because usually in school systems, they only let them use Google Docs. So now they're getting to use a superior Word software program. Now, also because I am paying like $30 a month in Grammarly, because this is what I program I'm using for my regular writing programs, I allow them, I teach them that too. So they're getting that benefit. So I teach them the process of writing. I teach them the process of editing. And then I put them through, like, um, creative writing exercises. Like, I teach them about characterization. Like, what do you think this character, what would they look like? How would they feel? Where were they born? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? Do you think they really speak that way? Oh, come on, really? You know? And then I, I do role plays with them. And then I have my I, – oh, I, I also teach debating class. Did I tell you that? Yes, you did, yes. Okay, that's a fun class. Those are my American students. That's a crazy class. Those, those three cl- those, that's a fun class. Anyway, so and, – and it's amazing how these students are just like – they just love it. And they feel very powerful, my creative writing students, like writing in my program. Like they feel very important, you know? And they yeah. – you, you'd be so surprised. Like their ability, they, how fast they, they, they improve. And they really are, are just doing so well. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, like I say, I'm just fascinated because, you, like I say, it, you have to, obviously, you've you got a wide variety of things you have to prepare for and know. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, and all of those are different things. Uh, debating is a different aspect from creative writing, which is a different aspect from screenwriting. Uh, which I'm going to is, what's the difference between what skills are different between a screenwriter and a creative writer? Oh, you know, it's very interesting you said that because it. I was. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I I predominantly consider myself a person that came from theater. That's my background. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm i a singer, number one. I consider myself a singer. You know, I, I, I had eight years of piano growing up. I'm, I'm, that's me. I'm a musical person. 
I did theater. I'm a New York-trained theater person, American Academy of Dramatic Arts, Stella Adler Studio of Acting. That's hardcore theater. I mean, you know, it takes a lot to get accepted into those schools. I mean, that's me, you know. And then I was a playwright. You know, I mean, that's that's very disciplined writing. Um, And then I to transition to the film. It's so different because film, you know, because I was writing today. um, I'm writing a feature um, screenplay, and you're on with theater. Um, screen the theater playwriting you know you can really write you could you could write you could emote you could you know you could take a whole page if you want and write a monologue you know because you imagine like uh, in a theater you could see a person up on the stage and the person could you know take 20 minutes and and speak but in on a, on a screenplay it's not about speaking it's about seeing the film is about visual arts. Theater yes. is about the speaking arts. So it's it's a it's a transition that I had to make, you know. So every time I write a, a film, every time I write a screenplay, I have to be very careful. You know, I write a little bit, but I have to make sure that I well, don't don't write too much, Lauren, because it's about what people see. It's not what people are hearing. Right. It's about people see. It's difficult difficult completely different medium yeah yeah it, 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 yeah, it is well yeah here's the i'm gonna throw this up because this to me is another aspect is i'm gonna go back to sports uh yes. some of the best don dumpy was one of the best boxing announcers in the world mm-hmm. and the one problem i have with sports reporters today is that they can't shut up I mean, seriously, you can, you know, you know, it's like you're watching a sport and somebody's talking. It's like, I can see it. I can see it. It's, you know, it's right in front of me. <laughs> and I remember, Don, Don, if you ever listen, yeah, but you ever, if you ever can get a YouTube copy of a Don Duffy broadcast fight, it's like, you know, say, you give me the facts. You know, Joe Lewis is left hook, right cross, left hook. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, he would. Yeah, he'd be just. I mean, and then there'd be like ten seconds, at least. I mean, there was like five or six seconds where there'd be nothing. You just hear the, you just watch the fight. And yeah. there was a Green Bay Packer announcer, Ray Scott, used to do the same thing. I mean, you know, what, you know, when people don't remember about the old NFL in the 1960s, a lot of these national games would feature the actual hometown. They didn't have a set of CBS announcers. They had, you know, Ray Scott. You know, if it was in Green Bay, it would be Ray Scott. And oh. and he would be like, I said, and Bart Sark got the pass. He's got Boyd Dallar. Dallar got first first down, first and ten. That was it. I mean, <laughs> that was oh, you're so right about was, this. I can't believe you're so right about this, Tom. You, I'm, you know what? I'm going yeah. back on my memory right now because I can do this. Go ahead. And, like, you're absolutely Go right. Ahead. They would just say a little bit, and they'd actually get big. Because you know what? They gave you that sense of immediacy where you were actually at the game. Now they oh, you're so right about this. Wow. Yeah. It, no, it's, it's amazing. Hold on to that thought because here we're going we're gonna to finish with this conversation. Then I want you to talk about Scotland Independent. Well, I guess it's, oh, yeah. now it's uh, that's not Scottish, right? 
as opposed to black chicken pox. Got <laughs> I got that. I saw that on Twitter when you wrote. Yeah. So this is Tom Donaldson here with Lauren Bies on the Bachelor News Radio Network and the Donaldson Files. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. This is Tom Donaldson back with Lauren Bynes on the Don on the Bachelor News Radio Network and the Donaldson Files. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com uh, is our website, and you can get all of the podcasts, uh, past shows. If you want to re-listen to them, because like like I say, they're all great shows. So, and if you want to call in the last twenty uh, some uh, twenty about eighteen minutes left in the show, if you want to call in six four six nine two nine Zero one three zero. I just heard from uh, poor Kyle Hester. Uh, uh, there was a couple of things that came up at the studio that he's working on at this moment uh, that he that he had to deal with. So he sends his apology. And Coco is still with her boyfriend uh, with his bad back. So, but Lauren Bies is here, and she is the official European correspondent for the Bachelor, for the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And want to kind of finish up with uh, what she was thinking, and then we're going to move on to Scotland. So, okay, you you mentioned you it reminded you what we're talking about of something in you know, childhood. I, I remember, like, as far as um, watching the news, I mean, as far as watching sports on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, we really you were right about the sports announcers. It was we, you could actually sit quietly and watch a sports game, especially like football on Sundays. And enjoy it peacefully, and the announcers would only break through, like, in these intermittent paces before you would – you were never distracted by their their voices. And now the commentators just – it's like a non-ending speech, and it's very, very distracting. I never realized it until you just mentioned it. Well, I did. I mean, it's you – know, like, you know, the thing is, it's, like I said, there's demonstrating radio – and television radio is you have to imagine it, you have to sense it, mm-hmm. see it for your, you know, think about it. You know, television is there, much like you said, you know, uh, the movies, it's a visual, it's there, boom. 
Uh, and this is a different because, you know, I do a lot of radio ads. And you find the differences between radio ads and television ads. Television is visual. It's quick. It's to the point. Radio is that much more slower of listening. You know, people listen uh, mm. to radio, but they watch television. They watch movies. Uh, but there's a big difference between watching and listening. Uh, mm. Okay. Now, all right. Now you we you kind of brought this up, uh, you know, about Scotland. So kind of give me the latest uh, what, because obviously Europe is you know let's say the world's in transition. Uh, we're in a mm-hmm. transitional period around the world, and it's you know and basically, you know Scotland, you know in 2014 they had a referendum. It uh, was I think uh, 55 to 45 uh, mm-hmm. to remain in the union, and they got remember. Great Britain was a creation in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Till the present, it was not to the present. Wales uh, and you know, Scotland were all combined together, you know, but over a gradual period of time, it was it was all there was actually an independent Scotland nation, much like mm-hmm. the independent Wales. In fact, the last time I was in Wales, half uh, of the science of Wales are in uh, Welsh. Mm-hmm. They have to have, uh, so, yeah, it's like you have to teach Welsh in their schools there. You have to have the language there. So it's kind of interesting because I always thought Welsh is the, the language of the continent. But there's a, you know, a, seriously, there are <laughs> big words with consonants. <laughs> but it's not like that in Scotland. They don't teach that no. in Scotland. Mm-mm. But there's nothing. In Scotland, like the, but their, their their culture has been suppressed. They have they they're not taught that. Yeah. Right. But Is I say that, right? that yeah yeah I I'm gonna say you're right. I've not been to Scotland, and my kids have. Okay. Uh, in fact, my 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 oldest studied in Wales for two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where she got her master was Cardiff University in mm-hmm. linguistics. So, mm-hmm. and she did actually take a course in Welsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the languages that she kind of <laughs> that she knows along with Hindi. It's very German, difficult. Attack, uh, and Spanish. Yeah, it's very like I say, it's a language. I, my first thought was, God, there's a whole lot of consonants. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of vowels in these words. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, you know, but uh, all right, tell us where we're at with the Scottish independence movement today. Well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, by no stretch of the imagination do I do I even profess to be have any great expertise about this, except to be a person that's in this region. But I will say that the friends that I have that are living there, and from what I'm gaining as a person that's living in Dublin, Ireland, um, a large percentage of the population, much higher than it was in 2014. I think the, the latest polling was like 60% of, of the Scottish people are in favor of having another referendum. Um, and 60% is a lot higher. That's a lot higher. Um, a lot of this yeah. probably has to do with the way that the pandemic was um, handled um, as they consider um, a lot more favorably in Scotland than it was handled in, um, in London. I, I say London specifically, you know, in, in England. 
um, mm-hmm. they're they're happier with the way it was handled, and and that that means a lot. Okay, um, it also comes down to let's let's putting aside um, let's let's talk about culture here. Okay, sure. The Scottish yeah. people have a very definite culture. It, it is separate. You you really can't say that the Scottish people are British. They're not British. Okay, and 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 they they, they have the right to have um, the in, the independence to call themselves independent. Um, nobody and and let's let's be clear. Okay. And I'm not speaking to you personally, Tom. You know that. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Great Britain, Great Britain itself. Okay, they certainly don't want to give up the resources of Scotland. Scotland holds the greatest resources for the Metis Point as far as water. It holds Scotland has more water than all the rest of Great Britain combined. Okay, as far mm-hmm. as that's concerned. Yeah. It has more natural resources than all of North Northern Ireland, England, or Wales. So that alone is abundant land. So that you know they don't want to give it up. If we're going to talk politically and monetarily, so that's just yeah. one thing. But the people have a right to have their culture. They should. You know, there's parts of the Highlands. There's parts of the Highlands which is absolutely beautiful that they have to privately, and I'm saying privately as far as hiding, the way, to teach their kids the old languages because the old language is no longer taught. It's, it's not allowed to be taught in their school systems. That's not right. All right. Okay, let me ask you. Well, here's the, I, I guess here's the question I'm going to throw back. But, you know, okay, on one side of the equation, because we're looking at a 300-year arrangement. Uh, so you basically have a country for 300 years. And I guess the question is, on one side you have your culture, on the other side you have a, a larger culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess the question is, when does one confront with the other? In other words, there's one thing to be Scottish, but there's also the aspect of being British, which they've been for 300 years. So, But they, they don't consider know. themselves British, though. Right, or do well, they? Okay. I don't know. Do they? Do they? I, I don't, don't know. I can't say that. I, I, I don't know either. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. This kind of it's a good you know, question. It's, kind of an, it's, a, it's a good question. Well, like I say, it's one of those questions that get answered, you know, during the uh, that would be answered in the future. What about it you? Would know, be a very good question. Yeah. Let me ask. Let's throw this thing. How did Brexit influence you know the Scotland independent movement? Was there oh. this aspect of oh, yeah, you know, how did that play out? How did that impact? Yeah, what, well, what did your friends tell you about that? Well, they have an opinion. I, I know initially, I think you, if we read the polling, initially a lot, the most percentage of, of, of Scottish people did were in favor of it. However, afterwards, the way that it was not handled properly, because we all know how that turned out, right? Um, they found out that what they were promised, they never received. So now there's a lot of animosity because of it. So that that is which was everybody kind of faced, you know, even in in England, other parts of England, that people that that voted for it initially. So um, it was like what their promises that they expected to get, they never received. So um, you have to understand. I don't think anybody 
I, I think what they're expecting at this point is that they feel themselves to be separate. Okay. Hmm. And what, what are they gaining? What are they gaining from this? What do you think? What do you think that they're what, gaining? No, yeah, I think what they gain, they gain their own. It's back to being British. I'm not sure the Brits. I mean, here's the thing: if you ever ask Charles de Gaulle, you know, one of the things Charles de Gaulle, he, his attitude was, the Brits don't belong in Europe. They're not us. There's Europe and there's Great Britain. <laughs> yeah. And I another that. thing, in a way, there is there is a cultural side of the equation where, to me. If, if I had lived in Britain, I would have voted for it because there was a, there was a uniqueness of Great Britain that would have been lost in the European Union, which is being – in my problem – because my problem with the European Union is is that it's becoming itself is, is – I won't say wiping out, but it is certainly intruding on the cultural side of most of those countries in the European Union. Hmm. And, and that's always been to me. I've always, you know, had they listened to Margaret Thatcher in 1988, to when she talked to the European Union, to her it was a community of nations, mm-hmm. where you would have that trade zone, where people can, you know, trade back and forth, but you would still keep your independent side of the equation. You wouldn't have oh, Brussels yeah, determining, right? Yeah, you wouldn't have Brussels determining what goes on in Germany, what goes on in right. Poland, what goes on in France, and that's what the British got away from. They got away from right. that. Now, whether or not they, what they do with it is another story. And I think you can see the difference in, in one side of the equation is on the vaccine the development. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it had – they've been in the EU. AstraZeneca does not produce that vaccine at the time that they do it. They would have had to deal with the bureaucracy of Russell. Mm-hmm. And, and that's to me what they gained. They gained back their, their identity as British. Mm-hmm. As British, as English, as Scottish, as Wales, as opposed to be European. And I think, again, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Charles de Gaulle kind of summed it up very nicely one time. He just said, you know, you know, Great Britain, you know, the United Kingdom is the United Kingdom. The Brits are the Brits. We're Europe. Mm-hmm. There's a differential. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. it, there is that differential. And I do, and that's what I think they gain. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I've always been a firm believer of what I call the Anglosphere. I think it's time for the United States. Canada, Great Britain, Australia, to form their own kind of trading zone, own kind of community zone, because these are the Anglo-speakers. They're we're all related. I hate that. Oh, I, oh, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that Anglo thing. Oh my gosh. That's, oh, I hate that. That's so. That's so. That's so. Um. That's so. Um. Um. Oh, I can't even think of the word right now because I'm getting. You're getting so angry. You're so The show's almost over. It's so. Um. Um, I can't think of the word. We, why we, you don't want to do that? Why? Why should you create well, such a? Um, well, um, why? No, why I'll would you say that? I'll tell you the reason why. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I can't. The, the, the best person who's written the most about it is a guy named James Jim Bennett. James Bennett. It, it's 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 not it's it's a in the sense that okay, if you look at the history of the past hundred years. There are four or five countries that basically have participated in the same wars, the same aspects. They have a relationship with each other. It's, think of it this way. There are alliances and there are alliances. There are alliances of conveniences, and then there are the alliance of nations that have similar culture, similar ideas, 
Okay, yeah. okay. All right, I'm, inter- okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you right now, and I'm going to tell you why. Because this yeah. is the thing. Because when you do things like that, when people, when countries do things like that, they start to exclude other countries. And you cannot, you cannot form alliances like that and exclude other countries when we're on one planet. You can't do that. You can't do that. Well, no, I mean, well, first of all, the more, I mean, first of all, the more, there are problems that we're having right now in, the, in Israel. You can't do that. Which is so ridiculous because then you have people battling each other on the same planet. We're all one people, whether you like it or not. Don't get me upset. Well, no, there a, no, 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 I'm not going to disagree with all these people, but there are different ideas of different civilizations, different cultures Usually that do come into play. If you start dividing us up into like, oh, this is the alliance between three different countries because we all have the same same cultural beliefs. Yes, we, we, no, we can't do it because if you no. start to do that, people feel excluded. And then people say, well, we're on this side and they're on that side. So we should let's fight them for this and let's fight them for that. We don't want to have more division. That's one division. Oh no, no, it's, it's, no, here's the thing. no. Here's what I'm going to disagree with you on this. It's not so much of a division thing. It's not so much of you have groups of people that can work together in a, you know, in a, and that's just an alliance, but trade somebody. You have to understand this: is that this alliance expands out to other alliances, to other. I thought, I thought you were the one that wanted to have the United Nations. Well, I'm not. Well, Aren't you the one that this. thought the United Nations was should be dissolved? No, actually, what I said: if you're serious about foreign policy, you will not be serious about the UN. <laughs> and if you're serious about the UN, yes, that's foreign policy. Yeah, the UN is you know, stuff. I mean, I mean, like I said, when you have a human rights commission that includes countries like Iran or Cuba, you know, I would say <laughs> to you that's not a serious body of work. But that's exactly what you got. Yeah, you know, well, we got about two minutes left. And I know. So, you know, I got you all fired up just before the show was ending. <laughs> I know, but but uh, okay. So we're gonna yeah, we're gonna continue this conversation in the future. Uh, and so uh, we got about two minutes left. So what I want to do is I want to kind of give you a chance to once again kind of tell every, you know what your quick projects are, and then we we'll can kind of, then we'll say goodnight. Tom, well, you know what I'm going to say as I'm ending? I want you to write a book, and I want you to write the last book that you wrote. We're going to have a title for your book, okay? Ready? I want you to write a book, and I want you to dedicate it to me, and this is going to be it. We can agree to disagree. You're going to be the title of your book. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, you know, you, you don't realize I'm now in the finishing editing process of my next book, so I'll have to put you in there. I want you to write, and I want you to put, make some honorable mention to me because only you and I disagree so much about so many things, and yet we are still friends. Yes. Well, here's a, I want to thank you very much. This is Tom Donaldson of the Donaldson Files with Lauren Bynes. We're going to say goodnight. Good night, everybody. Good night.
Hey, we want to welcome everyone to another edition of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're so glad that everybody is able to tune in once again to the to the podcast show. We know that there are many other things you could probably be doing, but you have uh, uh, decided to tune in to uh, one of the hottest law enforcement podcast shows that is in podcasting. So uh, uh, we have a, a, a great show. Uh, for our listeners uh, today, we kind of <clears throat> changed up the um, the topic a little bit. We uh, we're going to be bringing on uh, a good friend of mine and a and a classmate of mine from my home um, town of Hobbs, New Mexico, who has been a CEO. He's been in the oil and gas industry, and uh, he uh, has written a book. And this book is uh, the number one on Amazon. So. Uh, he's real excited about that, and we all are, and uh, so we're going to be uh, bringing him on here pretty shortly to uh, to talk to us about his book and uh, how did he come about writing this book and uh, what uh, what this book is, is about. And so the book is called uh, Re- Refined by Failure, Breaking the Rules and Getting Burned. So uh, the Lord has ten rules. Uh, and so we're going to talk about those 10 rules, and uh, it deals with business as well as also dealing with uh, with your personal life. So we're uh, excited to to have him come on the uh, podcast show and, and join us. So um, uh, as as usual, my uh, I've got to introduce my co-host, uh, who is uh, Chief Keith Humphrey, and he uh, is going to be probably – joining us uh at some at some point during the show he has some other obligations uh to deal with this afternoon so um but uh those who miss uh the swag the swag will definitely be tuning in at, at some point to uh, uh to to join me as we talk with our special guest uh Lloyd Brown who is um who's written a, a great book so um, we want to remind you that uh, if this is your first time listening to You and the Law, uh, the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. And if you have not um, a like page, uh, we definitely want you to go to uh, You and the Law 1 on Facebook and like our page and follow us. And uh, there's a lot of uh, good information that we share uh, on the Facebook page, you can also follow us on Instagram at you underscore in law, and you can follow us on Twitter at you the law one. And um, so you can definitely follow us on our social media plat- platforms and uh, stay connected with us as we uh, bring you important topics uh, that are law enforcement related. Um, but as I shared with you earlier, this this uh, podcast show is going to be a little different. We're not going to be really talking too much about uh, about uh, law enforcement, um, but I believe some aspects of Lloyd's book, uh, when it deals with business, can also kind of kind of help us in the um, in the world of uh, of policing. So uh, we're going to definitely uh, get into the conversation with him about his book. So, and again, if you miss any parts of this um, show, you can go and listen to the rebroadcast show at thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. That's thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. 
And uh, for those of you who are listening who have a, a great product or you're, you would like to advertise on uh, you and the law and on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network, you can definitely reach out to us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And you can also reach out to you and the law at you uh, and the law 2020 at gmail.com. That's you uh, and the law 2020 at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to uh, bring you on and uh, sponsor the show or advertise what, uh, what great products you sell. So, but without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Lloyd Brown. Good afternoon, Lloyd. How you doing, sir? Virgil, I'm doing uh, outstanding. Uh, good, good to uh, be with you this evening. Hey, man, it, it is great that you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to to come on and talk to us about this uh, uh, amazing book that that you have written and. Uh, I know you and your family are just ecstatic about this book, but um, I uh, I want to, you know, tell our listeners that, you know, uh, you and I, we grew up in the same uh, same town in, in Hobbs, New Mexico. We uh, went to separate elementary and junior high, but we went to the same high school and, and played football together. And uh, uh, it's amazing what happens after you, you – uh, you get older and you and you branch out and leave Hobbs, uh, how we connect back. And we connected some years ago at a class reunion, so it was great to um, to connect with you. But uh, this book is definitely um, uh, a great book, uh, and, and I know you're proud of, of the work that you put into it. Well, I appreciate your compliments on the book, and, you know, uh, it, it, it's it was a labor of love and also uh, quite frankly uh therapy from you know looking back and um i, I started uh, initially thinking about i'd talk about the things we did right and it, it just became evident as i got into it that i really needed to talk about things that didn't go right and why they didn't go right and uh and and my personal responsibility for that and so um i think the the most common uh compliment is just the transparency um that I shared about the things that that actually happened uh in my life uh that that led to to talking about this and and writing the book so um I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it okay well great well lord uh kind of tell us a little bit about uh lord brown where you from and uh how did you uh, become the the leader that you became in the uh, oil and gas industry? You know, it's quite a journey. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I'm from Hobbs, America, born and raised. Um, for those of you not from Hobbs, uh, you wouldn't recognize Hobbs, America, but uh, that's, that's how we talk about ourselves from that community. Um, you know, Virgil, one of the things that was so – unbelievably unique about Hobbs is just the connections that we all made and, and how so many of us started elementary school together um, and then graduated high school together. And, and I can think of, you know, 50 or 60 friends that, that I was in elementary school and graduated together. And I know that's a, a similar experience for you. And just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we just had a lot of great things in, in common um, in that community 
Um, even though we all had very divergent backgrounds, we all, um, I think, had, a, a for the most part, a great experience growing up there. So, Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, uh, for those who, um, you know, we're going to probably throughout this uh, the show, we're, we're going to definitely talk about Hobbs, but Hobbs is well known for basketball, for the Ralph Tasker uh, arena, uh, so many uh, we hold so many uh, state championships in in, in basketball, and uh, so it is it is definitely uh, a city that is well known for its sports, especially uh, with the um, with the basketball program. And and you're right. I mean, you know, we we all came from different walks of life, but we we um, we we were all we. We all became real good friends uh, as the older we got, and uh, so that was just a, a true blessing. And on top of that, you know, we participated in sports uh, together, and so that also brought us together. Well, hey, Lloyd, we're coming up on taking our first break, and um, I'm going to take this break, but I want to remind our listeners that you want to definitely stay tuned because we're going to be giving away a free copy of Lloyd's book um, later on in the show so definitely stay tuned. But uh, we're going to take a, a, a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to get into this topic of, uh, of the book, uh, Refined by Failure. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Okay, forest animals. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, it is you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network at WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill and, of course, uh, on IBM TV. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Chief Keith Humphrey uh, should be joining us shortly, but we do have uh, Chief Virgil Green on the line. If you have a question for him or their guests, On the line, C. Lloyd Brown. He's a former CEO and founder of Smart Chemical Services. Talk about his book, Refined by Failure, Breaking Rules and Getting Burned Countless Times. Hit us up at 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 to get on the line. The chat room is open. Hit them up on their Facebook page as well. Um, I I guess uh, as I go back uh, to you guys, Mr. Brown, your your uh, actually your, your your book refined by failure. Failure being the key word for me. Was it um, some form of or some significant failure that you had in your life to to led to this this origin of, of the book? Uh, I would assume if you became a CEO of a oil uh, a company you you reach some pinnacles um sort of the origin of your your book sir well it, it, 
the origin came about from uh, about a year ago. Uh, I was uh, partners and still am partners with a group of investors that had bought into our company back in December of 2018. And as COVID hit, and it was obvious that we were going to see a, a major downturn in our business and we were really struggling to look for survival, um, I was asked uh, by uh, the the ownership group board of directors to step down. And um, in doing so, I, I agreed with uh, the group to step down and um, uh, as the CEO of the company, which is just really a nice way of saying that I got fired. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> that's the, the first time in my life that I had been in a situation that I couldn't get myself out of that, you know, the, the compounding of the crisis tied to COVID, the war on oil by, by Russia and Saudi Arabia, and ultimately oil going to, you know, about a negative $40 a barrel, that just decimated the, the revenue for a quarter for, for three months uh, by 95% for our company. And so, you know, we were struggling to survive and uh, I, I was not asked to be, you know, an active participant in helping us survive. The great news is the company survived and it's and it's starting to thrive. But I really had to come to grips with looking at the decisions that I'd made, or even worse, the ones that I didn't make, that led to um, this this crisis um, that uh, that helped trust be lost between my partners and me and them asking me to step down. Well, you know, uh, L.A., I think and for the listeners who are not familiar with um, <clears throat> with this part of the, the region, part of the country, uh, Lloyd is, uh, lives now in Amarillo, Texas, and uh, which is not too far from Hobbs. But in uh, – in the uh, Permian Basin, which uh, Odessa, Texas, is pretty much um, uh, capital, but a very large part of oil and gas is in uh, based out of uh, Odessa, which is West Texas, and then you got Hobbs, which is in the southeast part of New Mexico, which there's a lot of oil and gas in that in that area. So, you know, Lord, I remember uh, growing up. Uh, and, and, you know, we graduated high school in 82. I remember um, probably in 80, you know, during the summertime of 80s or 81, um, having a summer job working at uh, one of the oil fields uh, with one of our friends' dad had something to do with this company. And the amount of money that was was being uh, flown through uh, salaries, back then was just unbelievable in 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 the late 80s there was this oil boom and uh it definitely had an impact on the west texas and southeast new mexico so many families moved away from hobbs a lot of jobs never were never returned so with what happened with COVID, how do you look back at how that happened when we were real young uh coming out of high school how does that compare with the uh, all boom in the uh, uh, late 80s compared to the 
COVID pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it. Uh, we thought it was bad. So you know, when we were in high school, we were blessed. We were in the in what they call the boom cycle. I mean, everybody was going crazy. You know, people were parking mobile homes everywhere. I think our high school gradu- graduating class was the the largest in the history of Hobbs. Um, I know mm-hmm. our our freshman class had over 900 kids combined when they came in, and I think we graduated right under 500. The and so we go into the late 80s, and the bus comes, and I mean everything uh, shuts down. Um, I think oil goes from about $40 a barrel to about $6 a barrel, and and I mean it it was decimated. Um, this this crash, um, as far as the severity was, an order of magnitude worse than what happened in the late 80s, but the, the oh, wow. we've already rebounded. To, today, you know, oil almost hit $70 a barrel. So if you think about it, that's $110 a barrel delta from the low just a year ago. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the bust of the 80s and 90s, it stayed low up until the, the you know, middle, early to middle 2000s, it, it stayed really suppressed. And we really didn't mm-hmm. see a real significant swing up until the mid-2000s. And so, uh, unfortunately, our industry is one of a boom and bust cycle. And it's it's always been that way. In my, my lifetime, I've been through five. This last one was far and away the most severe and, um, and decimated more companies and jobs uh, in, in a shorter amount of time. But, again, the cycle – has already come back in a much shorter time. So it's, it's, they're, they're, all of them are unique. You know, we went through one in 20, in uh, a bus cycle in 2009 with uh, the financial crisis. There was another mini one that happened in 13 going into 2014. We had another cycle of being up and, uh, you know, uh, a, another step back in late, in late 2017, 2018, and then going into, you know, 2019, it's just been very volatile. But this one uh, was by far the most severe that that we've seen as far as the swings. Time will tell mm-hmm. from the standpoint of the recovery. Okay, okay. But, you know, All you're right. asking about how I got in, involved in that, Virgil. I'll really tell you, I, we were born in the oil and gas industry. My dad owned a, a chemical business similar to what I ended up building that, that smart chemical. And I grew up okay. in that, in that business. I thought I was going to leave it. Um, and in 1985, my dad got killed in a car wreck when I was a sophomore, uh, between my sophomore and junior year of college. And, yeah. um, okay. I was attending university of Oklahoma and I moved back to Lubbock and graduated from Texas tech and, um, to be close to my mom and, when I graduated in 1987, that's when the bust really started coming on. In December mm-hmm. of 86, I had numerous job offers uh, to go be a petroleum landman. And then in that spring, they all went away. And um, uh, a gentleman that uh, had succeeded my dad at the company um, offered me a job as a trainee, and I took it gladly. And, and that's really <laughs> how I got back into to oil and gas. So uh, oh, okay. that okay. into the industry, and I've I've been there ever since in some okay. form or okay. capacity. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, I want to remind our listeners, if you're just now tuning into the show, uh, 
we're uh, we've got on our uh, special guest uh, Lloyd Brown, uh, who has a has a great book out. Is number one on on Amazon. It's called Refined by Failure: Breaking the Rules and Getting Burned. And so uh, we definitely uh, want you guys to stay tuned, and uh, because we're going to be uh, Lloyd is is agreed to. Uh, to give a book away to to one of our listeners uh, later on in the show. And so uh, definitely stay tuned uh, to get this uh, amazing book. And, and Lloyd, how long has the book been out? And because for it to become a number one on Amazon, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Well, it's we uh, our release date was May the 4th. And so we were, uh, for three days in a row, we were the number one new bestseller in three categories uh, on Amazon. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it's really a testament to, to friends like you. Um, I, the outpouring of people when I, you know, I shared the, the fact that I'd written the book and had put it, um, put myself out there and, just so many people that I've I've been in touch with in my life reached out, bought the book, and and it's just been an amazing thing. I'm I really can't tell you um, why I, I was so fortunate um, to to have this response, but it's just been um, it's been very humbling, quite frankly. Well, and, and you know, Lord, I think we all have stories to tell, and I think it's just how we how we go about uh, sharing and telling those stories. So, uh, and, and you just, you have, uh, with your life experiences, business experience, put that on paper. And so, uh, and it's just turned out where so many people have, have gravitated toward it. Um, you know, I think we have a, a question uh, from someone, LA, is there a question that, that you have, or we have somebody who has a question for uh Lloyd. Well, I think Lloyd, we're gonna get get to that. I'll get some clarification on, on this question, but uh you know, so uh we're gonna coming up on a on our next break, Lloyd. Uh so I don't want really wanna get too too deep into the conversation about uh about the refine by failure, uh breaking rules and getting burned. But you come up with 10 rules. And so uh, if you can briefly kind of, you know, uh, what did those 10 rules come from? So as we were growing rapidly, uh, my partners, we all sat down and said, hey, if we can't be there to make a decision, let's set a set of guidelines so our team can make a make a decision uh, for us and understand what's the most important things uh, to do. And so we just put those 10 rules together and it really became our culture on how we expected to treat each other. And uh, it, it set the expectations that were uh, most important and we wanted to, to help people grow and make decisions um, and know that they wouldn't get in trouble if they followed the rules um, and made their decision, and it didn't turn out right. The only rule that we said that that you couldn't break um, was the safety rule. If you if you uh, made a decision to do something unsafe that put yourself or others at danger, 
um, that was the one thing that uh, we didn't have a lot of grace on and that we'd ask you to, to leave the company. Okay. And so that's well, hey, how Laura, it came about with the rules. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, look, we're going to take uh, our next break, uh, and we're going to be uh, getting back uh, to talking with you about the book, Re- Refined by Failure, Breaking the Rules and Getting Burned. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Napa know how. The Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. the Best News Radio uh, Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill. IBM TV uh, can catch that. Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, wherever you can get those uh, broadcasts um, or podcasts. Uh, you certainly can make sure you tune in and check out You and the Law with your co-host, Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, hopefully Chief Humphrey will join. Um, Virgil and uh, Mr. Brown, I had two questions. Marcia said, as an African-American woman, um, and the feeling, she put in parentheses, the feeling of the uh, the lack of a, a starting pl- a place. I guess she means it a, a equal starting place. I'm, I'm assuming. I guess she'll hit me back. Um what would you say to someone at that position in terms of starting their business and going through the failures? Jonathan in Texas um, uh, asked a similar question, but he more or less said that um, how do you go through the obstacles of those failures, uh, sir? Well, um, I think it's realizing that failure is just learning. You know, sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on taking tests and we teach people that they're not really doing well or they're not smart or something because they didn't know information. And it's really understanding that when you fail, it means one of two things. A, you made a bad decision and, and you need to own it, or B, you need to just learn how to do it right. You need to step back in, say, hey, this is what I would do different, and let's see if we're going to get different results. You know, the old saying um, of insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting different results. Well, it goes here mm-hmm. that if we'll learn from what we've done, uh, it, we have the opportunity to improve. And a lot of times it just means that we need to do it more often. It's, I think of uh, – it's funny. I think of Allen Iverson. And back when he said, practice, practice, what do we need to practice? Well, you know what? The reason we practice things is because 
we need to become unconsciously competent at it. And the only way you do that, it's like riding a bike. When you first get on it, you need training wheels. After you get a little bit better, you can think about it and you can ride the bike and you can take that off. You still fall and you have wrecks, but it doesn't mean you don't keep riding the bike. It's mm-hmm. the same thing in business. You, hey, you do Mr. trial and Brown, error and you learn. If I, if I could just follow up um, my own personal question to you, um, what would you say to those who – and uh, excuse me, uh, Chief uh, Green – uh, what would you say oh, to those who who would say that, again, I think Marcia was saying that the level playing field, like, okay, so, uh, I like, we understand what you're saying, like, practicing mm-hmm. and, and putting those things in place, um, failure is not an option, all of those different things in your mindset, right, so you have to have those in place. Um, but, but some of us, it, it, at least where I come from, on my side of the tracks, we don't um, – have the, you know, um, parental or, or historical or even um, uh, 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 situations where, the, you know, you may have a, a parent or a grandparent where you can kind of get your feet wet um, and you start. we got to start with loans and different things. So we're starting at a different spot. So what do you say from from that standpoint? Obviously, you and, and Chief uh, Green have going to high school together there's the the diversity there so i get that but what do you say to those people of color that might feel like you know what we don't have sort of that silver spoon type thing mentality and we but we still want to own and we want to be entrepreneurs and we want to do what we need to do to be successful um, and failure is part of that as the book you've written but what do you say to those who feel like they they're not starting at the same starting line as, as say, you would um, in your situation? You know, first thing is, is there's absolutely a, um, a difference, all right? And to, to say that there's not challenges, there's, there's absolute challenges depending on where you grew up. And I saw that growing up, and, and to speak directly uh, to the, the young lady that asked that question, it is harder, but it's possible. And the first thing is believing that it's possible for you and having the expectation that it's possible. Are there obstacles? Are there greater hurdles? Absolutely. And one of the greatest hurdles and obstacles is having um, the business world many times will tell you no based on how you look or based on where you grew up. And to me, that's one of the greatest challenges that we have in overcoming is having a low or a different expectation for somebody based on where they came from, not where they're going. And so um, I, I think that that's really the hardest challenge is coming over and understanding that, yeah, you, you are starting in a different place, but your unique experiences give you the ability to talk to a different audience than I do. And your life experiences are important, and you can take from those with your lessons and move forward the things that that you failed at or that were setbacks actually can help uh, propel you forward. But to say that there's not a a level playing field, I think uh, financial 
um, understanding of financial uh, literacy. I think there's so many different things that that make it can make it an obstacle for um, people that grew up in a different socioeconomic background. Um, I think that's one of the great challenges that we have in our country, and that's something that I would love to help someone or help a group of people. And and one of the reasons that I wrote the book was to help say, hey, if you set some some rules and guidelines and boundaries, these things can help you no matter where you come from because they're universal principles. Correct. I hope that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely does. And, you know, and and I'll share this, uh, uh, L.A., and and to our listeners. You know, being African-American, there are uh, obstacles getting your foot in the door and uh, especially in, in business. Uh, recently, I just caught an episode of Shark Tank where uh, these three individuals had uh, came on the show and they had a vegan uh, burger. And everybody from Mark Cuban all the way down to all the other hosts on the show, including Mr. Wonderful, that this burger was absolutely the best burger that they have, had ever tasted. And these were three uh, African-Americans who produced this vegan burger. Uh, they end up walking away from that show uh, with a deal with Mark Cuban. They are in uh, over, over 500 and some targets uh, nationwide, other, other stores. So here's a success story of individuals who just they didn't have uh, parents or somebody who you know, uh, gave them a foot in the door. This was something that they started, and now their their company has grown to over a million-dollar uh, company. So, and like you said, Lloyd, it can be done, but you just definitely have to put those practices in place and, and, and be determined. And when those failures do happen, you have to just get back up, and I'll even say, even the world, even being a police chief, there, there's failures as being a police chief. I've been asked to step down and uh, to uh, because in the world of being a police chief, you you don't ha- you don't control your destiny. A mayor and a city manager controls that, and if there's something that they don't like, then they're going to get rid of you. So you always you're, you're questioning yourself, what did I do wrong? And what did I fail at? And so I think this book really resonates for the both the private sector as well as the public sector. Thank you. I, you know, and to follow up about the challenges um, that come from our from from where your starting point is. Many times we all of us have fears. And some of those fears are based on the fear of not knowing. And um, whether it doesn't matter which side of the tracks you're on from the standpoint of fear, fear stops us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a faithful man, and it comes through the book. And the, having faith helps propel you forward. And I'll, I've not ever been really good about talking about this, but we've got to have faith in each other. And 
we've got to have faith. And I think, Virgil, this goes to what you've talked about so much in your podcast. How do we build faith? How do we build trust in each other? And rule number one in the book is give trust, earn trust. And Mm -hmm. the way that we start changing the conversation, the way that you change the conversation in law enforcement, really the way we change conversation and we change what happens for each of us is by starting out and saying, hey, I want to trust you. Today, you and I, because of a a shared experience growing up, trusted each other to have this conversation, right? Exactly. I I think that's the next thing that – that moves all of us forward is is trusting that we can do this. First, trust ourselves, then find other people that are trustworthy to be mentors and advisors, and then to take the leap of faith that even if you do fail, it's not the end of the world. Exactly. Yeah, because, again, as you know, so many businesses has – that started out great and they they've ended with failure and they started again and you are a uh, prime example of being in the oil and gas industry and uh those the obstacles the the ups and downs the failures with that never giving up and and in your entire career in the oil and gas industry uh you never gave up you saw that there was definitely light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, Lord, I really like the way your book started out where it stated that, you know, uh, like many great stories, this book begins at the end. And so uh, it, it's it's just it, – it, that gets your attention right there, uh, uh, especially as you reflect back on your 12 years as being the CEO of Smart Chemicals. Uh, Lloyd, we're going to – we're getting ready to come up on a break, but I want to let our listeners know that if you're going to – caller number seven, caller number seven, if you call in to 646-929-0130, that's 646-929-0130, you will get a, a copy of – an assigned copy of, of, of this amazing book by Lloyd Brown. So. Uh, after the break, uh, uh, we're going to be taking phone calls, and if you're caller number seven, uh, you're going to get hooked up with this uh, amazing book uh, that's written by uh, my great friend and classmate, uh, Lloyd Brown, uh, Refined by Failure, Breaking the Rules and Getting Burned. And I think it's just going to be uh, so many great things in this book that can help uh, help us um, through our personal life as well as our, our business life. So, But, Lord, we're going to take this break, uh, and we're going to come back. We're going to definitely get back into more talking of refined by failure, breaking rules, and getting burned. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Taste and health. You want both in one cranberry juice? You want Northland. Northland has a kick to it. I like that. It says 100% juice on their label. 
That tells me it's healthy. Cranberry raspberry, cranberry grape, I love all their flavors. Northland, a great taste and the health benefits of cranberry. Only Northland has 27% cranberry in all nine of its 100% juice cranberry blends. I choose Northland because it fits my healthy lifestyle. Northland, 100% juice, 100% refreshing. Services and again the author of the new book, best-selling in Amazon, "Refined by Failure: Breaking Rules and Getting Burned Countless Times." All right, thanks, thanks, LA uh, Lloyd. Uh, so, kind of tell us, tell us and our listeners uh, about Smart Chemical uh, briefly, because I want to get into some more uh, of the book, but. What is what is uh, Smart Chemical? Uh, what does it do in the oil and gas industry? Well, it's a it's a chemical business that uses chemistry to help uh, oil and gas wells produce better, longer, reduce failures, and we also provide products that help the transportation of oil and gas to get uh, to processing and refineries, and uh, we have a division that also. Uh, treats uh, diesel with fuel additives that uh, uh, keep the uh, fuel from gelling and also helps uh, engines run smoother and better through lubricity additives. So um, really, we we touch every part of the producing of oil and gas and the refining of oil and gas 
except for the the actual refining part of the oil and gas business. Um, we do the finished fuel side and everything that leads up to the refining of it. So um, when you hear about fracking, we provide chemistries that help uh, frack a well. All is all, all mm-hmm. that fracking is is using a, a process of pressure and water to crack the rock, kind of like a windshield cracks. You know, you see all those fractures. Well, that's what yeah. they're doing to this super hard rock, and it helps create a pathway for oil and gas to come out of it. And so oh, okay. We're, okay. we're part of that process and help that happen. Well, I, I know a lot of people should probably be uh, familiar with the term fracking because I know here in Oklahoma, it fracking has, uh, I guess, led to uh, us having uh, some pretty severe earthquakes, which a couple of years ago, Lloyd, I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't uncommon uh, to wake up in the morning and your bed be rattling or uh, especially up north of Oklahoma City where there is a lot of oil and gas uh, industry at that, uh, it, you know, it's kind of strange that you would talk about. We're, we're known in Oklahoma for, for tornadoes, but then you turn around, we were having just as many earthquakes in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City and around Oklahoma just as as they were in California. So, um but uh, that, that's it's just weird how uh, fracking uh, impacts you know, you know uh, everything else. Uh, and Lord, I'll say this: you know, one of the things you know, growing up in Hobbs, uh, so many of you uh, of our classmates and friends uh, graduated high school, went to college, got in the oil and gas industry. And a, a good friend of I don't know if you remember Pete Armstrong. But uh, Pete is uh, lives up here in Oklahoma City. He's in the oil and gas industry. Uh, been in it for a very long time. So th- this is, uh, you know, coming from that region part of the country. You know, if you didn't play sports, you definitely got. Uh, you were definitely in the oil and gas industry. So and, and I'm sure it has definitely been um, a very rewarding. Um, career for you and your family uh, as well as uh, just in the business aspect of it yeah absolutely and yeah I knew Pete well and Dennis uh, his little brother uh, yeah started at Sanger (laughs) together so yeah I I mean uh, the Armstrong family I've been I've been uh, uh, associated with them for almost my whole life probably ever since we were six years old so Absolutely. And, you know, Virgil, I, one of the things that, you know, to talk about, there, there's impacts for everything that we do um, related mm-hmm. to energy. And in Oklahoma, one of the side effects, so we put this water in the ground to break up the rock. In, the, in Oklahoma, when you do that, there's actually an old ocean that's trapped in that rock. And so there's more water coming out than what we actually put in the ground. And so those earthquakes were caused by pumping that water back into another geological formation and overpressuring that formation. And that was what was causing um, the, the earthquakes. The, it was, you know, doing something we felt like was responsible of disposing of that water back into a very deep uh, well. But the fact that we were putting so much in was causing displacement and causing those earthquakes. And now that they've regulated that, you've seen a real subsidence of, of the earthquakes in Oklahoma. But there's there's always a cause and effect. And, you know, when you think about it, that's in our life. That's really what failure is, is that 
when we do something and it gets us out of balance, there's really laws of nature both in our relationships and, and in business that if it gets out of balance, we're going to start having earthquakes. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's why we need to have a set of rules and a set of boundaries. And, and that's really what I, I talk about in the 10 rules is how do we set boundaries? What are our values? And, um, we, and I, I illuminate when we break our own rules, which I did numerous times, there was some pretty significant consequences that I learned from that. And um, I, I think that's just, it's important in every aspect of our life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Lord, one of the things that, that stood, one of the many things that stood out in your book, especially uh, in, in Chapter 1, uh, when, you know, you you uh, said uh, the question was asked by your wife, are you having an affair? And just how dumbfounded, you know, you, you had this look. And, and, and you know, reading that, it, it was, you know, it was kind of like, Wow, and then you realize, hey, you know, you are really putting a lot into your company. And so how did that, because i got to know, you know, for that to be uh, one of the first things in in, in the chapter, um, what was that conversation like between you and your wife when you decided to uh, put that in the book? You know, it's funny, I, I I wouldn't let Laura see any part of the book. Um, I ha- had a pact with my team that helped my editors that were helping me take my story and, and craft it in a in a way that was effective in communicating the, the you know the values. And when she finally got it, she started reading it, and she goes. I go, what do you think? She goes, well, I've been there this whole time. So she goes, I know the story really well. <laughs> and But she did say, you know, I, and she said this multiple times. She said, you know, you really you got undressed in front of everybody. And, you, and she goes, that's probably the thing that I respect the most out of you is that you were willing to, to be vulnerable. And, and, you know, I read a book called Rising Strong. Um, actually, daring greatly first by Brene Brown, and then and then rising strong. And you know, shame is something that is such a powerful force over us. And I spent several months, Virgil, ashamed and and felt like a failure. And um, on June 29th, I'll share with you. I, I came home from a trip with a friend, and I I'd been listening to a book. My wife. Uh, strongly suggested that I, I, I listen to her and or read. And um, I walked in the door and I said, hey, honey. And she goes, hey, just need you to know I'm done. And I looked at her and I oh, said, wow. well, what do you mean? She said, I'm done with the craziness. I'm done with living with you making these decisions and they're they're impacting our lives. I'm done doing things that I don't like. I'm done um, for example, going to, to the church that we were attending and had and actually helped start. And she just she just set a real hard boundary. She said, you know what? I don't want to live in this craziness. It's unhealthy for us and I love you so much that I'm not gonna do it anymore. And and I've had some people go, What was that like? And I you know, it's the best day of my life. One of the best days. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it I recognized 
that I had to make a, a decision and stop. And, you know, the next morning I called a counselor and I said, hey, her name's Twyla. And I said, Twyla, I want to I want to figure out why I keep making these repetitive decisions. What what is driving me to do this crazy thing uh, and, and taking risks that I don't need to be taking with, you know, my personal resources, but also impacting those that have trusted me and, and, and come to, to work with me. And, and so that was a real, that was a real tough place to be, but it was also a great place to be because that, that was the beginning of change. No. Okay. Okay. Well, Hey Lloyd, I need to do two things real quick, man. I need to give a shout out to some, some very faithful listeners um, who listen to you and the law podcast show every Tuesday. And um, hopefully I don't, uh, uh, mispronounce the the name but uh verna who uh listens every week i definitely we definitely thank you man uh chief humphrey definitely thank you for being uh, a faithful and loyal listener to you and the law podcast show and also i definitely gotta give a big shout out to uh, friends of mine in, in arkansas when i served as a police chief there uh uh, uh Lionel moss who uh, every time I send information out about the show, he's like, "Hey, Chief, I'm, 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 I'm ready. I'm listening." So uh, we 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 have built a, a great uh, 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 audience of, of listeners to to the show, Lloyd. And so I just had to uh, put that out there about some of our, our listeners, but there are many more. So if I uh, didn't call your name, uh, don't take it personal, but. Uh, but I'll, I'll definitely get to you. But Lloyd, we have a winner. Uh, her name is uh, Alicia Cooper uh, in uh, North Carolina has won the book. So Alicia Cooper uh, in North Carolina has won uh, a, a copy of your uh, amazing book, uh, which is called Re Refined by Failure, Breaking the Rules and Getting Burned. And so, uh, Ms. Cooper, we will definitely get you the information on um, how you can get uh, how you can get that uh, your copy of the book uh, definitely signed by this uh, now great author uh, Lloyd Brown. So uh, uh, we'll definitely get that to you. But uh, Lloyd, I mean, we're you know that we we spoke prior to the show. You know, man, an hour goes by so quick, and we're we're coming up with about five minutes left in the in the podcast show, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get you back on to, to talk more about this book because again I just think it uh, it, it relates to uh, business it relates to personal it relates to to uh, it, whether you're in a uh, private sector or the public sector there are some great things some great information that you share in this book uh personal um with some things that have happened to you over your career in in the oil and gas industry and uh so you know man we're, we're definitely going to have to get you back on to talk more about this and and uh in our listeners because i'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who have um taken away a lot of information especially about failures and and uh you know failures come success and i think you have definitely proven that uh, the failures that you've had, you definitely turned those failures into successful uh, business ventures uh, with your business. 
Well, you know, Virgil, I'd love to join you again. This uh, it, it has gone by extraordinarily fast, and I've, I've enjoyed every second of it. And I, I'd just like to give a shout out to those listeners that are that are on with you guys, and I, and and you and your chief that joins you on the on the show. I want to say thank you guys for serving uh, the communities and and serving in the roles that you you are and having these. You know, sometimes really hard conversations that need to be had, um, and not being afraid to do it. Um, you know, we we I wish we could all have a little bit thicker skin, and and mm-hmm. a lot more open open ears, and and have great exactly. conversation and find places that we can you know be unified. I I, I want to share one of our conversations prior to this, where you and I talked about you know we grew up in a community where we really didn't, at the time and the season of life, we were there, we didn't have a lot of race issues. Although exactly. we had very, we were a very diversified community with white, black, Hispanic, and Asian um, uh, in, our, in our community, in our high school. And only 10 years earlier, um, or, or 12 years earlier, there had been race riots in our community when there was integration in our schools. And, you exactly. know, that's a that's a testament of what can happen with all of us. We we need to start, you know, really focusing on what we have in common and not what what makes us different. And um, you know, I just I'm well, I'm grateful that I'm on able to have this conversation with you tonight. Well, and you know, Law, you, you break up a, a quick question before we uh, have to go. Uh, you know, my third grade year, I went to well. My elementary, I went to uh, Booker T. Washington up until uh, mm-hmm. third grade, and it was integrated. So at the end of our third grade year, uh, the Hobbs uh, school system uh, uh, turned Booker T. Washington into a school for uh, uh, kids that had some type of mental um, learning disability. And so mm-hmm. I would end up going to Southern Heights. So a lot of people, you know, for me, when I look back, you know, there was still the schools. Washington Elementary was was still primarily uh, a black elementary school. So, but in my third grade year, we were told that hey, you can no longer go to Booker T. Washington. So, that was real. You know, as the older I got, I realized what what happened uh, in the third grade. And so, uh, and, and you know, Hobbs is not a big community over probably less than forty thousand people. One high school, uh, but several different junior highs. But we all definitely came from different walks of life. But Lloyd, uh, if you would, real quick, uh, we're gonna if, uh, give out your email uh, so it, the producer can get that, and then we can get that book to the uh, listener. You bet. Uh, emails Lloyd L L O Y D at refinedbyfailure dot com. So just uh, look forward to, to hearing from folks, and uh, look forward to sending out the book. Okay. Well, Lloyd, man, we definitely want to thank you for taking the time to come on our podcast show and to talk to us about this uh, valuable, this book, uh, and it's number one on Amazon. Uh, And just so much success to you, sir. And uh, we're definitely going to get you back on uh, the show and talk more about about the book. But, uh, again, uh, we uh, definitely appreciate you taking the time. But uh, to our listeners, uh, definitely – Tune in next week uh, for another edition of You and the Law uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network, uh, and have a great evening. Thank you.